0: Coming tonight on our series Journeying Through Jonah to the third chapter, Jonah, it seems at this point, has learned a lesson in obedience in the belly of the whale. And he now has his commission from God renewed a second time. And that is, as I said in the Bible reading, a great mercy. God is the God of the second chance in this life where He will often take someone who has messed up quite badly and use them again for His glory. So, Jonah is in that position. He's told once again, Go to Nineveh. That's the place I told you to go to. In chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. He says again, chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. But of course this time, instead of the Bible saying as it does in chapter 1, verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, This time it says, chapter 3, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Why did he not do that the first time? It would have saved him an awful lot of trouble. But the Lord overruled the foolishness of Jonah and even used that situation to bring heathen men to himself, the shipmen, the mariners, who accompanied him on that journey, that unsuccessful journey to Tarshish. So the Lord says, go to Nineveh and preach to the people there my word. So Jonah obeys. He sets out for that great city according to God's command. He was given a message to proclaim. I can imagine this was a message that would be thought unpopular. Because it's not a message concerning something nice. It is rather, in verse 4, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This place is going to be destroyed in judgment. That was the message. That was not Jonah's own message. He didn't think it up. He didn't dream it up. It wasn't his own word. It was God's word. And we learn this From verse 2, he said, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So we can safely assume that the preaching that the Lord bid him to preach was what he actually engaged in in verse number 4. Tell the city of Nineveh that they're going to be judged. So here he goes into this vast metropolis, assured of Jehovah's presence with him. In our mind's eye we can see this man on foot passing through the lanes and the alleyways of that great city standing on street corners and in the marketplaces and when he's one third of the way through that city he begins to boldly declare the word of God. It's an awful threatening. It's a very solemn word of judgment. And it re-echoes from the buildings there and it rang through the streets. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It wasn't just Jonah's voice, however. It was the voice of Almighty God speaking through this Jewish stranger to these Gentiles in the Assyrian city of Nineveh. God had a message for them. As we meet here tonight, God has a message still for sinners today. It's no more popular than the word that Jonah spoke in his day. But it's the same word of warning, the same note of warning that has to be sounded to those who know not the Lord today as it was in Jonah's day. Now let me just say that Jonah's sermon was probably longer than the eight words that are recorded here in English. I believe that this is a summary of his message. That's my own view. He cried and said, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I can imagine that he fleshed that out. But nonetheless, that was the heart of the message. And there was enough in it to challenge the sinner's of Nineveh. And what I want to do tonight is to take that same word that Jonah gave to the Ninevites, and I want to consider with you three aspects of his preaching that directly relate to unsaved men and women today. Let's notice them. First of all, Jonah's short sermon. Reflected the iniquity of the people. That's the first thing that it did. It reflected the iniquity of the people of Nineveh. There had to be a reason why Jonah was preaching this message. There had to be a reason why there was the warning that Nineveh was going to be overthrown. Why would he say this? In 40 days time, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Well, the reason is found in the original commission given to Jonah in chapter 1. Look again at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Why? For their wickedness is come up before me. For, it means because their wickedness is come up before me. It literally means Their wickedness has risen up before my face. They were sinning in the face of God. So here's a city that we can say is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah were many generations before that. If you go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 13, the Word of God records something there that is notable. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 13. It simply says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. There's that phrase again. Their wickedness has come up before me. They were sinners before the Lord. It means before His face. They sinned in the face of God. They defied God. Even as Israel did later on. The Lord, through His servant Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 3, talked about the people of Israel who were a people in covenant with God. They were the chosen nation. And yet, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, records... For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of His glory. In other words, it's coming up before His face. The show of their countenance doth witness against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. He's talking about the brazenness and the boldness of their iniquity. They didn't care. The fact that they were sinning in God's face never cost them a thought. And the people of Nineveh were the same. For their wickedness is come up before me. Therefore Jonah preached the message that he did. A message of condemnation and of judgment. His message reflected the iniquity of the people. Let me tell you that the sin of Nineveh, just like the sin of Sodom and the sin of Israel, is repeated today in the lives of men and women and young people because all sin is in God's sight. All sin comes up before His face. We learn this from a number of scriptures Let me just refer you to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, from verse 7, the psalmist is emphasizing the fact that you can't get away from God's presence. There are those who try to. Here's what he says Whither shall I flee, or whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Jonah would have done well to read these words and to think about them when he rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. The psalmist said, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? How am I going to get out of God's presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that's what Jonah did, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, I'll be able to get away with it because God can't see me when it's dark. Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I'm sure you've seen those images of soldiers in a place of war looking through those night vision goggles. It's dark, but they can see images of people walking. It's an amazing thing that. But if men can do that, think about God's vision. God can see all. There's nothing hidden from His sight. He sees all sin. It all comes up before His face. Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us of this in the following words. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. The Lord sees it all. All of it. There's nothing hidden from Him. And therefore God's condemnation, God's judgment rests upon all men because of their sin. Romans 3.23 It's a proof text that we often use. For all have sinned and come short. It means are constantly coming short of the glory of God. Men are constantly falling short of God's standard. Therefore God does not damn sinners for no reason. No one ever goes to hell that doesn't deserve it. Now when we talk about salvation, salvation is always undeserved it's always unmerited but damnation is merited, damnation is deserved there's not a person who will ever be in a lost eternity who will point their finger at God and say I shouldn't be here it ought not to be like this because God's judgment is just he doesn't damn men for no reason but because of their guilt and because of their iniquity Because of their sin. Sin is not only a coming short of the glory of God, but it is a positive transgression of God's law. 1 John 3 verse 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. And we're all guilty, therefore. We've all done that. We all constantly come short of God's glory. And we all positively sin against God. And so God has declared the sentence, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. He will by no means clear the guilty. This has to do with the justice of God and the holiness of God. And therefore the message that Jonah brought to the Ninevites was a reflection of their iniquity. It was in response to the way they were in the sight of God. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Lord wasn't going to destroy that place for nothing. But because, again as it says in chapter 1 verse 2, their wickedness is come up before me. See, God's righteous character demands that sin be punished. He will not wink at sin. He will not turn a blind eye to sin. The psalmist learned the truth of this. He said... In Psalm 5 and verses 4 and 5. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And again, just a couple of verses later in in Psalm 7 and verse 11. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. People going about sinning against the Lord, they think the Lord doesn't think anything of it, the Lord doesn't pay attention to it. Let me tell you, God is angry with the wicked every day. Because of our sin. Let me say that the short message of Jonah not only reflected the iniquity of the people, however, in the second place, it recorded the imminence of judgment. It recorded the imminence of judgment. That is to say, the judgment was just around the corner. Notice what Jonah said here. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, why 40 days? Why not 39 or 41? If you study your Bible carefully, you will find that the the number 40 is the number of probation. Uh, You'll find that in relation to the wanderings of the children of Israel. You'll find it in relation to the fasting of Moses and the fasting of the Lord Jesus Christ, 40 days. You'll find it in relation to many other things in the Old Testament, the number 40. Very significant number. Think of the rain that came down 40 days and 40 nights in the days of Noah yet 40 days now 40 days sounds like quite a long time if somebody tells you today there's something that you're going to expect to happen to you in 40 days time you say oh that's fine That's we're into the month of May then aren't we that's plenty of time 40 days but that was a date that was set by God for the overthrow of Nineveh and it would have happened it would have happened in 40 days time except for what happened in between as we shall come to note in a few minutes but the point that I'm making here is it was not going to be very long until destruction came, yet people could have reasoned that it's quite a ways away yet. It's not like it's tomorrow. It's not like it's next week. It's 40 days. That's quite a long time. We've still got plenty of time to worry about that. And isn't that how men and women reason today in relation to matters of the soul? When it comes to their salvation, a lot of people reason in that way. And they'll think, well, I know I'm going to die sometime, but that's probably a long way off. I know I'm going to stand before God someday, but that's not tomorrow or the next day or next week. That's probably quite a ways off. But the point is that 40 days is not really that long of a time. It really isn't. You've only to look back over the last 40 days of your life and you know that it went in like a flash. In fact, I would go further and say the last 40 years of my life went in like a flash. But the judgment, you see, was near. It was, it was near, and yet it wasn't near enough to cause people perhaps to be all that concerned about it in some cases. Only 40 days. But it was only 40 days. And they were in great danger of perishing very soon. Yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. There's going to be a massive judgment that will fall upon the city and its inhabitants. Jonah's message recorded the imminence of judgment. In a very short time God's going to put an end to it all. And so it is today, men and women. Our time is short. And The day of our death is fixed. Job was able to put it like this in in Job 14 and verse number 5 concerning man, and of course he's referring to himself as well. Job 14 verse 5 Concerning man, he writes, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. The date is fixed. The time is set. And here's the thing. How do you know, how do I know, if you or I even have 40 days more on this earth? How do we know that we have another 40 minutes? And even if it were 40 years, And that seems like a long time. It's actually a very short time. Because as Job again says, my days are swifter than a post. It's like a weaver's shuttle. Our days are short. What is your life? James 4.14 says, it is even as a vapour that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Do you ever notice when there's been a a really strong shower of rain on a hot summer's day, and then when the rain goes off and the sun is out, that the steam, the vapour begins to arise from the road. You see it, and as it rises, it just very quickly disappears. You can see it also in a kettle when it's boiling. That vapour that comes out of the spout, it just disappears into thin air very very quickly that's your life it appears and then it's gone people used to say that to me when I was a young fellow oh you'll find that your life will go in very very quickly and it was always an older person that would say that to me and I was thinking at the time yeah they would say that wouldn't they look how old they are then you start to realise yourself if I project that into the future, I've lived most of my life already. I think I'm safe in saying that. I'm not going to live into my 120s. It's a sobering thing, isn't it? To think about the passage of time. And how quickly, how quickly life is over. And when it comes to the unsaved, we can say to them, Judgment is very, very near for you. Perhaps much nearer than you think. The brevity of time and the sureness of eternity and hell ought to arouse the sinner's heart. When you think about it, as one said in the Old Testament, there is but a step between me and death only a step from time through that domain into eternity through that invisible wall that we call death and what lies on the other side the fires of hell for those that are lost there's only a breath between them and perdition a breath a heartbeat to eternal destruction I'll make no sure judgments about people because I do not know, because I'm not God. But I know this that the Bible teaches me that most people die just as they lived. And it also tells me that the condition in which they died is the condition that they will be in for the rest of eternity. Just recently, at the age of 52, A world-famous cricketer, probably by many accounts the best cricketer who perhaps has ever lived. He's certainly in the top five. A fellow called Shane Warne. He was larger than life and he was larger than cricket. Cricket is a game which uh, many people don't even understand. And uh, it won't hurt them not to understand it. But if you can imagine that the the most famous sports person that you've ever heard of in this country, whether it be a football player, a basketball player, an ice hockey player, a baseball player, the most famous person you've ever heard of, maybe somebody like Babe Ruth. That's the kind of position that Shane Warren held in the sporting world. And he was larger than life. He he had friends everywhere in the world of entertainment. He was friends with Michael Jordan, the basketball retired basketball player. He was friends with Tiger Woods. He was friends with all manner of rock stars and film actors. The guy was so well known. that he lived a profligate life by his own admission. Abused his body, did not look after himself. And when he was on vacation with some friends in Thailand, just about a couple of weeks ago, he had a massive coronary and died. And it's so sad to see the reports on the media all glorying in his cricket career and in his life and so on. They had a private funeral for him at a cricket ground, at at a stadium, an auditorium. With just his family and close friends and colleagues there. He's having a more public memorial service soon. But as far as I can tell, there wasn't an ounce, an ounce of biblical content in that funeral. No hymns. No Bible reading. No prayer, as far as I'm aware. His favorite rock songs playing. As his body is being driven around in a hearse followed by his family. They're standing with their glasses of gin and tonic. All toasting the memory. Let's all have, let's all raise a glass to Shane Warren. And I thought to myself. What is Shane Warren's experience right now? What is his experience right now? Listen, there's only a heartbeat between us and eternity. God is gracious. There are folks who have had more time than Nineveh. They've had more than 40 days to think about their soul's welfare. Some of them over 40 years. And yet their overthrow is actually imminent. Because any day, any day, they could be in a lost eternity. You know, the Lord is so gracious. There was a man that used to belong to my home church. His name was Andy McAllister. He came to the martyr's church for years. Many, many, over 30 years. And listened to some of the strongest gospel preaching that you're likely to hear in 10 lifetimes. And yet he never came to the Lord. He was not saved until about two years before he passed away when the Lord smote him and Andy McAllister got saved and for those two years people knew that Andy was now a Christian but you think of the mercy of God in that and it doesn't bear thinking about if he had gone out into a lost eternity with about 30 years worth of gospel preaching ringing in his ears Listen, time is short. And as the Bible says in the Minor Prophet, it is time to seek the Lord. Jonah's message recorded the imminence of judgment. But in the third place, Jonah's message revealed the importance of repentance. It revealed the importance of repentance. This was the message that was implicit in Jonah's preaching. How do we know that? Because when he preached that message, it caused the people of Nineveh, including their king, to repent. The Bible tells us about what happened. The king, in response to that message, along with his people, verse 5, believed God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. The whole place. Think about that. If that happened today, we would call that a revival. We would call that an awakening. And word came to the king of Nineveh. Here's the man on the throne. He rose from his throne. Verse 6. He laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Again, showing his mourning and his repentance, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through the city by the decree of the king and his nobles. That included everyone was to be covered in sackcloth and notice verse nine or sorry verse eight and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. That's repentance. That's what repentance is. Turning from your evil way. Actually in this passage we see two things. That are both equally important. Faith and repentance. Every act of faith is a repenting act of faith. Every act of repentance is a believing act of repentance. In verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. There is faith. And they turn from their evil way according to verse 10, they repented. See, because men and women are sinners and they are in imminent danger of the judgment of God, a hasty repentance is required. What is the message that Jesus preached at the very beginning of His ministry? Well, we find it in Matthew's Gospel, in the chapter 4. And it is this word Matthew 4 verse 17 repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand when you come to Mark's gospel in chapter 1 the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus came in verse 15 of chapter 1 preaching the gospel saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye And believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. The people of Nineveh recognized that this repentance was vital. They accepted God's word, and the Bible tells us that they turned from their evil way. Listen to what Matthew tells us in the gospel Matthew 12 and verse 41. If we don't think that the Old Testament is sufficient, which of course it is, to tell us what happened to the Ninevites, let's listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us what happened to the Ninevites. Matthew twelve forty one: The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. They repented At the preaching of Jonah. And when you stop to think about it, folks, Nineveh, the men of Nineveh, repented without the light of the New Testament scriptures. The men of Nineveh didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Acts and Romans, and all of the epistles. They didn't possess that. But we possess those scriptures. And as the Lord Jesus Christ put it, a greater than Jonah walked among the Jews and they didn't repent. What an awful hell awaits those who had that privilege. Sinners here today, the message of sure judgment and of the grace of God seen in Christ at Calvary's cross where his blood was shed and where a way of escape is available for condemned sinners and yet they reject the message. There are people who hear the gospel and it is to them a source of amusement. I've often stood in open air gatherings back in Ulster and in Scotland in days when open air preaching was even more, way more prevalent than it is today, even there. And I've seen the mockery of people and the laughter and The jollification, as they thought it was a really funny thing to make fun of men preaching about Christ and his gospel. Think about this the men of Nineveh heard the gospel, as it were, they heard the message how many times? Once. One time. There's no evidence that they'd ever been preached to before. There's no evidence that they'd ever heard anything like this before. One time, one time, Jonah went there and preached. And what do we find in our day? There are people who hear the gospel until they could actually repeat it themselves. They could preach it to you. They've heard often, and they do not repent. And that would be a very dangerous position to be in. Listen to this proverb. It's a fearful word, this. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. What that's saying is someone who has heard over and over and over again, to the point where they become gospel-hardened. The day will come when they will suddenly be destroyed and there is no way back. It is without remedy. The hardening of the neck is a biblical analogy that's drawn from agriculture. When an animal would be placed in a yoke, say two oxen were going to plough a field, When that yoke was placed upon their necks, a lot of times they would rub against it. They would chafe against it. They're resisting the yoke. They're trying to get away from the yoke. And the more they rub away at it with their neck, the harder that skin becomes upon their neck. It gets to the point where you could prick it with a pin and they wouldn't feel it any longer because... Of the hardness that is set in, the callousness that is set into that skin. That's what the Lord is talking about here. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck. So they become so hard. That there's no penetration whatsoever of the message. And they go on out into eternity lost and undone. You know what the Lord Jesus said twice in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13? Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. It's absolutely essential. Now, Jonah chapter 2 uh, tells us in verse 10 that the men of Nineveh actually repented on the basis of a peradventure. What I mean by that is. They weren't sure. They weren't sure if God would accept their repentance or not. They weren't sure if God would actually have mercy on them or not. So here's what they said, verse 9. Who can tell? Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? Who can tell? Maybe He will. Maybe He won't. I remember a certain old radio preacher preaching like that to people. And to him the gospel was a peradventure. If you just keep crying out to the Lord, just keep crying out to the Lord, he may, he may have mercy upon you. Well, I want to tell you that's not the gospel. That's not even close to the gospel. The Bible doesn't say Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved if the Lord feels like saving them. No, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a peradventure. It's not, well, we'll hope for the best. We'll pray to the Lord and maybe He'll have mercy upon us. Do you know that that's the religion of many tonight? It really is. There are many, many religious people and they're just hoping... I 'm praying that what they 're doing is going to be enough. That's what they think. I hope it's going to be enough to impress God. I hope that when He puts all my bad works on this side of the scale and my good works on this side of the scale, that my good works will outweigh the bad and he'll let me into heaven. That's the gospel that many people believe. That's a false message because I'm going to tell you your good works and your bad works you can put them all on the one side of the scale because none of them count there is none righteous no not one there's not a single iota of righteousness in you that will count before God but I'm glad that the gospel is not a peradventure it's not well maybe might be, could be no no As Spurgeon said, he's not a God of ifs, buts, and maybes, but a God of wills and of shalls. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll do it. So here you have the Ninevites, with no Bible, so to speak. And they turned to the Lord, with people today, who've got a stack of Bibles maybe in their homes, in their mother tongue, and yet they remain unrepentant. But I'm glad this is a day of grace. And I'm glad that as the Lord saved the Ninevites, so He will save those today who come to Him. My Bible teaches me that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, that all might come to repentance. That they might come to repentance. Somehow, some way, the Ninevites learned about God's mercy and they had hope and trust in God. I believe that Jonah would have preached it to them. And Christ is the great sign of God's mercy to sinners. There were those in the day of the Lord Jesus who were looking for a sign... And Jesus said there wouldn't be any sign given to them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's the sign of the prophet Jonah? It is Jonah as a type of Christ. In his death, his burial and his resurrection. And it is simply trusting in that which Christ has done for you that will save you from the wrath of God. The hymn writer put it this way, The wrath of God that was our due, upon the Lamb was laid, and by the shedding of His blood, the debt for us was paid. It is His Word. God's holy Word. It stands forever true. When I, the Lord, shall see the blood, I will pass over you. No judgment angel could come into the home of an Israelite who was sheltering under the blood of the Lamb. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. I'm thankful for the pure and simple gospel. The gospel in a nutshell, if you like. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life the Ninevites did not perish they were redeemed they were accepted of God they were received by the Lord because a man went to them with a message that revealed the importance of repentance and the Lord gave them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth May the Lord save sinners today. May God help us to preach the simple gospel of Christ, knowing that He has promised that His word will not return unto him void.